Good morning. Great to see everybody this morning. Uh, thanks to all those of you who helped yesterday. Uh, the church just, our campus just keeps getting better and better if you didn't get a chance to see it. Most of the parents who dropped their kids off downstairs did. Uh, they just did some, some amazing improvements for uh, downstairs. Thank you to everybody who did that. Um, next week, we'll be planting flowers. So if you uh, love to plant flowers or you love to make our place look more beautiful, show up next Saturday morning. We'll, uh, we'll get your hands dirty and leave it beautiful. Uh, we have been working through this series called Hope, and we started on Easter. And uh, we, we started with this picture that everybody seemed to have grabbed a hold of, which is in our lives, there's this gap. The gap is created by hopelessness. It's the difference between the way we live our lives and the way that we think we ought to live our lives. It's the, way that, the difference between the way we picture ourselves and the, and the way that we ought to be. There's this gap. Everybody has it. And as we uh, begin to go like, wait, so that's hopelessness. Yeah, how do I close the gap? How do I, how do I get these things to come together? And we try lots of different things to do that, and we talked about those pieces, and, and we found that Christ came and said, <clears throat> I can close the gap. We try to close the gap by lowering standards. Look, oh, that's not that bad, that's not that bad, it's okay. But it doesn't work, why? Because inside of our hearts, we know. We may not know why, but the truth is it's because we've been created in the image of God. And this image keeps beating in our hearts going, hey, this is the way it ought to be. This is the way it should be. This is who I really should be. Sometimes we even go to seminars or big things, and, and, and people get together in these big groups, and they're like, you are great. Tell yourself you're great. Everybody's jumping up and down. We're great. I'm great. You're great. We're all great. The only problem is you go home, and there's a mirror. Right? You look in the mirror, and you're like, ah, oh, no, that's so great. You, go, you live your life. And you look back and you go, uh, yeah, that, that's not so great. But Christ came. And we use this terminology in church, and we're going to talk a little bit more about it uh, this morning, of our sins. In other words, our sins are the things that, we, that God has said, this is right, this is good, and we don't live that way. We don't, we don't interact with them that way. And he took that sin and he put it on himself and he went to the cross and so he paid the price, closing the gap, allowing us to be who we ought to be, changing us from the inside out. So then last week we said, okay, what's the backstory to this? And we went all the way back to the beginning and we discovered some things. One is that God had created mankind and, and we began to wrestle with this phrase, do you believe in a God who you've created or the God who created you? Because there's no hope in a God you've created. But there's hope in a God who created you. And we found out you were created in his image and that he gave us a choice. And Adam, having the choice, said, you know what? This is great what we have, God, but I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm buying into what the serpent has to say. I think you're holding out on me. And so we said, this is great, God, but I don't need you. And he ate the apple. And God had warned him, don't do that or you will die. 
And so we were introduced to this idea of life and death. And this chair is going to represent life, and this chair is going to represent death. Because death is not that you cease to exist. Death is that you exist outside of God's goodness. So you lose your purpose and you lose your meaning and you have this big gap in your life. And then we began to work through uh, of Noah. And with Noah, we found out that when someone kills someone else, they have taken the lifeblood. They have to pay with their lifeblood. That in the world where there's hope, there's justice. All of you understand justice. You may not intellectually understand it, but you understand it emotionally. So what's the biggest movie out right now? How many of you have seen, how many of you have seen it? Good. I went with sports in the first service, died, like nobody knew, all right? You guys, you guys know this movie, right? This movie is built on what almost every movie is built on. Introduce good people. Introduce bad people. Bad people hurt good people. The end of the movie is only good if the good people win in the end. The bad people have to be judged. They have to be punished. They have, you know, like if you're really into justice, they have to be tortured and destroyed. And, right? The more torture, the better. Because we want them to what? Pay for what they did. Justice is that goodness wins out in the end. And God said, justice is that if you shed blood, your blood is to be shed. And we learned about this idea that life is in the blood. Life is in the blood. That blood is very important. Now again, I want to review. This is not a religion that popped out of nowhere. It's really not a religion at all. This was, we get this from the Bible, which has 66 different books, 40 authors, written over 1,500 years, and tells one story. The Bible itself is a miracle. That story started from the beginning of mankind, it starts from Adam, it walks all the way through to explain how you could actually have hope. So we learned about this, about the blood. Then we introduced to Abraham where God said, I'm going to, he comes, he makes him a promise and land, seed, and blessing. And so he gives him the, the land of Canaan. He gives him, um, eventually he gives him a child. And we interacted with that story and how he, he asked, God asked him to sacrifice the very promise that he had given him. And, and he did that by faith. He was about to do it. And God said, no. And then God provided the sacrifice. This blood sacrifice is part of this story all the way through. So today we're going to be introduced to Israel. So the nation of Israel then is Abraham's descendants. And uh, there's a lot of pieces missing in this. There's a lot more in there in, in the story. But um, the, the nation of Israel, act, or, uh, Abraham's children, actually end up in Egypt. And then they begin to grow into this large nation. And as they grow as a group of people, the Egyptians enslave them for fear that they're going to become too powerful. And they're in Egypt for 400 years. And during that time, they then begin to call out to God and say, God, we are your people. Why are we in slavery? Deliver us, deliver us. Calling out. 
uh, to God, and so God does. And that's where the story of Moses comes in, and then the Red Sea, where they cross the Red Sea, and then they go to Mount Sinai, and at Mount Sinai, they enter into a covenant. God's people, this is really an extension of the covenant that he had with Abraham, that God's people, are, or the people of Israel, are God's people, and he is their God. And the plan is that as the world watches the way God and his people interact, they would be able to see who God really is, and they would turn to God as well. And he gives them these, uh, a, a great number of commands. That's where the Ten Commandments come from. The Ten Commandments are given at Mount Sinai. He gives these Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments are kind of the foundation of this covenant that they have back and forth. You keep these commandments, I bless you. If you break those commandments and turn away from me, then you will be cursed. You will live the death that that causes. In these um, sacrifices, there are sacrifices for or offerings that are for Thanksgiving. You bring these things because you're so grateful. There's some for the harvest. There's, there's all these different. There's some for celebration. There's lots and lots and lots of them. They're in the book of Leviticus. Now, if you are looking to go to sleep, and you're having a hard time sleeping, go to the book of Leviticus. Begin to work your way through the book. It will usually knock you out. All right? If you're trying to study what I'm talking about today, go to the book of Leviticus. If you want to be close to God and build your close relationship with God, probably not the book of Leviticus first. It's, it's a tough book in the sense that it's, a, it's really a covenant between God and Israel at that time. There's some amazing principles you can pull out of it, but, but you probably need to know a lot of the other Bible before, before you do that. But in this, he reiterates this same idea or this same theme that we see running through the Bible. And he's, he talks about this, what's called atonement. He says, for, in the flat, for, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. Same principle we've been in, introduced to before. The blood's really important. It's where the life is. And I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. Atonement is any sacrifice that satisfies wrath. Wrath is your desire for justice. Wrath is your desire to see things made right. You began to experience this when you were about two or three years old. And either a friend or a, or a sibling stole your toy. And when they stole your toy, you first went after them. When you saw it, and you were going to deliver what? Punishment. You're going to get justice. You didn't just want the toy back, did you? No, no, no. They need to pay for stealing the toy. And so when you're not able to do that because my brother was older than me, and it went worse for me when I went to get my toy back, right? Where do you go? The judge. Mom and dad, right? And you go to mom and dad, and you hope they don't say no tattling. It's so unjust. It's not right. And you go to them, and you plead your case, and you hope they saw it, right? Because the most satisfying thing in the world is when my brother gets spanked for doing injustice to me. 
Now, unfortunately, in my life, 95% of it flowed the other direction. I got quite a, few, quite a bit of justice in my life. Atonement is when, okay, it's been paid for. They did wrong, but something has happened. It's been paid for. Now, guys, this is super important for hope. It, it, is, it is at the soul of this gap thing. When we do wrong, and when someone does us wrong, it has to be paid for. There is no such thing as, yeah, no big deal. There is. Now, is there such a thing as no big deal? Yes. When someone trips and there's an accident, it's no big deal. Why? They didn't sin against you. There's lots of things you get really upset about that people didn't actually sin against you. It's just the course of life. But when they do, it has to be paid for. And when you do, it has to be paid for. You can't grab a hold of hope if you don't get this principle. He says, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. There's the power of the blood again. It is what makes the atonement. When God, we, we were introduced to this last week, you take a life, it has to be paid for. When you've done evil, the way it's paid for is with a life. Why? Because of death and life. This is about death and life. Adam, if you do that, you're going to die. And so they had this huge day. It was called the Day of Atonement once a year. And they would bring their bulls and the best of their rams and their sheep. And uh, if, you see, if you see the numbers, sometimes they would do a thousand a day. And that day, everybody brought them. It was the Day of Atonement. And they would sacrifice them. And the blood was shed and poured on the altar to pay for their sin. That was the picture that they saw over and over again. In uh, Hebrews, it restates the same principle. Hebrews is in the New Testament. Leviticus is in the Old Testament. But he, he says in the Old Testament, it says this. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Let that settle in. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. You hear this a lot. God is a forgiving God. He loves to forgive. Be careful. Because that communicates he forgives without it ever being paid for. That would be unjust. He's not that kind of a forgiving God. He's a God who said... I will pay for it for you, and therefore now I can forgive you. Because again, this blood is really important. It's a big part of the story. So the sacrifices started way back, and they started because Adam went from life to death. And now God has come and said, I want to bring life to you. But the death has to be paid for. And so he 
instituted this system, this relationship with these people. Then we come to God, to you, through Jesus. From that place, now it's God to you through Jesus. And in Romans it says this, and all are justified freely by his grace. Justified is when you are made right. It's a legal term. It's, it's as if the judge is standing there and you are the defendant and the judge goes, you are now ruled not guilty. It's even further. Because in uh, the New Testament it's presented that God actually gives you his righteousness or his goodness. So now, once he justifies you, there actually is no gap. There's no difference in who you are, this new person. There's no difference between who you are and who you ought to be. They're the same. There's a song we sing here at Skyline. Our, our, our gang wrote it. And it, it uses the phrase that you are everything God ever dreamed you would be. How could that be possible? Because he took his righteousness and he put it in your account. So you now have the righteousness of God. It's an amazing truth that's too good to be true. You are justified freely. You can't earn it. It's by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. Oh, wait a minute. We've heard that before. He became that sacrifice to atone God's wrath. He paid the price God is no longer looking for justice for what you've done. Why? Because Jesus paid for it for you. Through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. How do you, how do you accept this? How do you accept the sacrifice that God has done for you? You do it by faith. You do it by going, okay, I, Jesus, who lived 2,000 years ago, died on the cross for me. It's personal, guys. It's personal. This is not, oh, I believe that to be true. It's personal. It's you taking your sin and going, Jesus, I'm asking you to forgive me of my sin. What I've done wrong, I understand you paid for what I did. I'm putting my faith in you. Now listen to this next part. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. What sins? What was done beforehand that he left unpunished? It was all the sins that were covered by the blood of the bulls. Why? Because the blood of the bulls can't actually pay for sin. They covered it. And so he was patient. He did not put his wrath toward those people because it was covered with the blood, but that's all it did. It covered it. It didn't pay for it. And now when Christ gives his life, that blood is applied to all of those people. They're now forgiven. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time. That's 2,000 years ago, all the way up to right now. So to, as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. 
He's not only good, he's never done anything wrong. Jesus came and didn't do anything wrong. He was loving, he was kind, he healed people, he did amazing things, he taught amazing principles. He wasn't only just good. He has the power to touch you and make you good. That's righteousness. He's, he's displayed this righteousness. It closes the gap. It closes the gap. If he makes you righteous, it closes the gap. It means that when you stand before God and, and, and God says, hey, what are you doing here? And you're like, I'm with Jesus. What do you mean you're with Jesus? I mean, he gave me his righteousness. I'm with Jesus. There's no difference between who I am and who I ought to be. We use this phrase, and you'll hear it quite a bit, this, these four things. There's more to it than that. But one is, when this happened, when you're justified, you're forgiven. And therefore, you belong. You belong to Jesus, and Jesus belongs to you. No gap. When you accept Christ as your Savior, He makes you holy. On the inside, who you really are, which means not only, it means that you want exactly what Jesus wants. There's no difference. There's no gap. Now, you might live your day-to-day -day life feeling the gap, and we're going to talk about that in a second, but the truth is there is no gap. You are holy. The question isn't whether or not I'm going to sin. The question is whether or not it's true that Jesus has made me righteous. Can I trust him? He's made you his servant, and therefore you live to build others up and build up the body of Christ. He's made you his witness, therefore you live to share who Jesus really is. That's your mission in life. That's who you are. So here's a question in terms of hope. Because lots of times you're like, I, 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 does it work this way? Does this give me hope? So all I have to do is accept Jesus as my Savior and all's good? What are we saying here? Just accept Jesus and all's good? If you've lived very long at all, if you're here this morning, you know, wait a minute, I've watched a lot of people who've accepted Christ, and there's a gap. There's a big problem. I don't see the joy and the hope we're talking about. This sounds like good talk, but I'm not seeing this. Well, there's another passage in the Old Testament. This kind of, it, it, it's, it's, it's an idea that runs all through the Bible. It says this, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings or sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance is like evil of a, the evil of idolatry. You see, they believed in the sacrifices. They believed in the system. And they would go and they would make the sacrifices. And they're like, we're all good, right? Yeah, we're all good. And then they would go back to their life of death. They would go back to death. They would live their lives, not as the people of God. They would live their lives as if they had a life of their own. But that life was always death. And God said, don't fool yourself. 
There's life and there's death. You, you can't just say, okay, I, I, I buy into this, but I still got my own life. Jesus said this, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. For whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Life and death. Is your life death or is it life? You see, Jesus, in all this time with this church stuff and all this, like, doesn't it seem like God has a hang up with sin? Like, why is he hung up on sin? In our culture, we've worked really hard to redefine all, everything, but especially sin. We've redefined the word love. If you read the newspaper at any time, at least 50% of you are just hateful people. Why? Because you won't agree with the other 50% of the people. Right? It's, it's in our faces all the time. Death and life. Is God hung up with sin? No, you are. You're hung up with sin. Because God invited you, or Jesus invites you to life. He says, come to me and you'll have life. But if you're going to seek your own life, you can't have this life. And then there's death. You know what death is? That's your life. What do you mean my life? You know, the thing you're trying to build. The thing you keep inviting Jesus to be a part of. You keep asking Jesus to bless you at your work. You keep asking Jesus to bless your marriage. You keep asking Jesus to fix other people so you can have what? A great life. Because you believe with all your heart that if this life became better, you would have hope. That's what hope is, isn't it? That this life that I dream of would become better. But this is what Jesus says. Jesus says that death is pride and life is humility. And so we bring our pride with us and we go, and Jesus says, come and have life. And we go, I would love to come have life, but I need to bring my pride with me. And Jesus says, no, you can't have pride. There's no pride here. There's only humility. And you know what we say? What's the big hang up with sin? Why are you all hung up with sin? He's not hung up on sin. He's already paid for it. It's already done with. He's beaten it. He has victory over it. But he's not going to invite it into his life. I have never had a couple come to me and go, we got a problem with humility. <laughs> I cannot love this woman. She's humble all the time. Love and selfishness. Never had a couple come to me and go, I'm sick of him. He loves me to death. I'm sick of it. Yeah. Why? Because selfishness is death. 
Jesus, can't I, can't I have some selfishness? Can't I bring some of it into it? He's like, no, why not? Because we're talking about death and we're talking about life. I'm inviting you to life. Gratefulness and greed. Guys, this is so much a part of our lives. We, we can't even recognize. And we keep asking Jesus to give us more. I need more. I have to have more. And Jesus, I can't believe in you anymore because you didn't deliver what I needed and what I wanted to have a great life. It's greed. No, I'm not greedy. I just want a little bit more. The issue is not actually the greed. I mean, that's not how you notice it. You notice it because you're just not grateful. You're the richest people in the world. We are the richest people in the world. And we have no hope because Jesus won't give us more. Next slide, guys. Sorry about that. Kind of my fault. Blame, and it's my responsibility. Victim. Victim is, I can't do, I can't do the life thing because of what other people have done to me. Blame. One of the fun things in re-engage is you take a circle, you, you put a circle around you, we're only going to work on the people in the circle. Because everybody who comes to re-engage is convinced of one thing. It's their fault. You can't blame me for not loving that person. Look at, look at them. Versus, no. You know what life is? Jesus invites us to reality. You know what life is? Chris, you were late because you started to leave too late. No, it was traffic. No, it wasn't traffic. The traffic's there every day. It's an amazing thing to live your life going, hey, I'm responsible for what I've done and what I've thought. You get to live. That's where Jesus lives. As you work through these different pieces, what's Jesus asked you to? What's he invited you to? And we're convinced we have to take shortcuts. And Jesus says, come experience life. There's incredible hope here. Why? It's based on me and I've already paid for everything and you're going to live in heaven. And we come to him and we go, look, 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 that's great, man. That's great. But really, I want you just to come be a part of my life. Please come be a part of my life. You know what fools you? What fools you is you can take biblical principles and make them part of your life and it'll be better. It's happened to a lot of your lives. 
We've taught you principles about what real love is, and you've applied them to your marriage and your parenting. It's better. Not only that, when we teach you about the love of Christ and how he is not coming to you going, change your behavior, change your behavior. No, no, he's died for you. He wants to, he wants to enter into a relationship with you. It does amazing things to your heart. You walk out of here, it's fun to watch you. You walk in, you walk out of here, oh, you're all excited, it's great, it's good. But you got fooled because you think that Jesus wants to be a part of your life. Your life is death. My life is death. There's nothing on this earth that will ever give you lasting hope. Are you, are you inviting Jesus to be a part of your life? Or have you put your faith in Jesus and understand that you know what hope is? Hope is understanding that because Jesus, of what Jesus has done for me and what Je where Jesus is leading me, I can't lose. I really can't lose. We want Jesus to be a part of our life. But we don't want to give up our life to follow Jesus. Jesus is not hung up on sin. You are. You don't want to let go of it. You want to define it. You want to carry it with you. You want to claim that it's what your life is all about. I'm inviting you, Jesus is inviting you to a hope that is eternal. That hope is built on that man named Jesus. Will you, even this morning, identify the areas of your life, because he doesn't do all of them at one time, will you identify the areas of your life that you've got a hold of that you will not let go? Let me give you a couple hints. If you don't want your pastor to know about it, pretty good chance it's something you've got a hold of. Right? If you get ticked off when somebody begins to talk to you about it, pretty good chance you got to, that's what you got to hold on. When you go to your small group and you tell the story in such a way that you kind of twist the whole thing up, pretty good chance it's something you got to hold on. Where's your faith? Is it in men? The great, the latest idea that you came across? Is it in you? Have you bought into this idea that you're going to be great and you're going to change the world? Is it in this world? Do you measure your life based on what's going to happen in the next 80 years? For some of us, that means we would live to 140. How do you measure your life? Or are you able to get up every morning and go, you know what? I just got one responsibility. I'm going to follow Jesus. 
I'm just going to just follow Jesus. That's it. Why? Because I'm done with my life. I want his life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for the amazing love that you've given to us. Thank you for the way that you have from the very beginning of time been at work so that at this moment in time we could experience life. We could trade in death for life. I pray for us as we look at this situation in our own hearts, in our own lives. Give us the courage that when we come to you and we go, yeah, yeah, you can't bring that here. We're not offended. Give us the courage to be able to go, that's true. I'm done with that. Or, or at the very least, you're right, God. Help me to let go of this because this is death. Jesus, thank you for a hope. fills the gap. Thank you for a hope that guarantees that every day I get to live and I get to live to the fullest. I don't have to fake it. I don't have to go to a seminar to get it. I just have to look you in the eye and accept what you've done for me and the invitation to your life. In your name we pray. Amen.